something that you may not have known, but it's actually easier to record a podcast following a loss than it is to record a podcast following a win. Mostly the reason why is because after a loss, there's so many things to talk about. You can talk about the things that definitely cost you the game, the things that might have cost you the game, the reactions to the people after losing the game, how the team reacts, how how the fans react, how the media reacts, so many things that go over following a loss, and unfortunately we found ourselves two weeks in a row with that uh, very same topic with the Oklahoma Sooners, who now are riding a two-game losing streak. Um, other notable teams in the Big 12 riding two-game losing streaks are TCU, BYU, Baylor, and of course UCF down there having lost seven in a row. Uh, but you, it, it's the loss that kind of causes you to reevaluate well, what's in front of you? What, what do you have left this season? What is there to play for? The, the college football playoff, it's gone. And I think there was a pipe dream anyway. It, it was an exciting pipe dream because you saw rapid improvement with this team going all the way back to the, the opener. You saw an explosive offense. You saw a powerful defense. You saw unity. You saw coordination. You, you saw so much that made you think, well, maybe – Maybe this is back. Maybe it is what we wanted it to be, what we had hoped it would be, and that would be a return to the conference championship game and a return to the college football playoff. You can take, obviously, college football playoff off the, uh, off the list. That's gone. That is no longer in reach for the Oklahoma Sooners. And that could be good. It could be bad based on – what you're seeing from the top four or five teams in the country right now anyway. But when you're talking about a conference conference championship game, I don't know that that's fully off the table. Oklahoma is definitely in a position where they need help. But they are not out of the conference race. Remember, two teams, two teams make the championship game. Texas and Oklahoma State right now, they're in the driver's seat five and one with each of them in, in conference play. But then you've got a little bit of a logjam. And, and this is where Oklahoma needs help, and maybe, maybe they can help themselves, and maybe, maybe they can pick up some help. Because you need Texas to lose one game. You need Oklahoma State. I mean, the best scenario here, for if you're an Oklahoma fan, is that Texas loses. I, I know, again, the pipe dream was that Oklahoma and Texas would ride out into the sunset having played in the final conference championship game as with them being – the flagship programs in the Big 12. Now that can still happen, but in order for that to do for that to take place, you're going to need Oklahoma State to lose twice. The Cowboys are at 5 and 1 in the Big 12, Oklahoma at 4 and 2 in the Big 12, but the Cowboys own the tiebreaker over the Sooners, and so unless you get into some crazy crazy mathematical formula tiebreaker type situation, you're likely to need Oklahoma State to lose twice. But Texas, if Texas just loses once, you own the tiebreaker over the Longhorns. Now, we do have that scenario with that crazy mathematical tiebreaker-type format situation, and it's developing. Because you've got Texas 5-1, and one, Oklahoma State 5-1. and one. 
But then you've got Kansas, Oklahoma, Kansas State, West Virginia, Iowa State. You have five teams sitting there deadlocked at four and two. Now, clearly, Kansas is a little bit of, a, um, of an issue for Oklahoma because they, they own the tiebreaker over the Sooners. But you only need the Jayhawks to lose one game. You only need Texas to lose one game. You would need Oklahoma State to lose twice. And so if you're hoping for an appearance in Arlington, then really what you're hoping for is at least that that's going to be against Oklahoma State. Because if you're going to lose some teams from this scenario, Oklahoma State is the team that's the most difficult to lose. And you got to break out of this this five-way tie that you're in. But the roadmap is there. Now, clearly, if you're Oklahoma, you've got to take care of business. You've got to figure out a way that you can stop turning the football over. You've got to work out the offensive play-calling situation. You're always going to have the officiating against you, in my opinion. That's always going to be something that's going to work against Oklahoma until they leave the conference. But then you need help. I talked about Texas, right? You want them to be the one that drops the game because that's easiest for you. That's the easiest path. And if you're looking for an opportunity, the next two for Texas are on the road at TCU, at Iowa State, before they end the season with Texas Tech. I don't know that there's two losses left on Oklahoma State's schedule. That's the other thing we haven't mentioned in this. You need, like I said, we need Oklahoma State to lose twice. Well, They have at UCF, at Houston, and then BYU to close out the season at home. There's not two losses on that schedule for Oklahoma State. So you just need Texas to drop one. That opens the door. But then after the door is open, who gets to walk through it? Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's going to happen over this tiebreaker scenario. Kansas, they only need to lose once, remember? You're tied with them. So a third loss for the Jayhawks puts you. In the driver's seat above them, they have Texas Tech, Kansas State, and at Cincinnati to close the season. That Kansas State game might be the game you want to circle. You might want to circle the Iowa State game for Texas. Iowa State's not a problem for Oklahoma, so you can cheer for them even though we're in a tiebreaker situation because Oklahoma has the tiebreaker over the Cyclones. West Virginia is coming up next for the Sooners, so you've got to handle that business in Norman next Saturday evening. And if you don't, if you don't fix it by the time the Mountaineers come to Norman, then this is a moot point anyway because you're not getting to the conference championship. That door is officially slammed closed. It's still open just a little bit now, but it'll be officially closed, officially closed the next time the Sooners lose. There is no room for error. Now, Kansas State, who's been a thorn in Oklahoma's flesh over the last, you know, decade or so, they can actually do the Sooners a a solid by beating Kansas in two weeks. Their last three are Baylor, Kansas, and Iowa State. And so you, you, you better your chances. You better your chances for Kansas to lose to Kansas State, and then you just kind of go, you have to go all in. If you're an Oklahoma fan, you have to go all in on Iowa State. Because Iowa State gets Texas in Ames, and then Iowa State closes out the season 
in Manhattan at Farmageddon. And Iowa State is the could be the key. The Iowa State could be what propels Oklahoma into the conference championship game. But obviously the Sooners have to take care of their business. They have to win out. They have to they have to do all the things that they've been doing wrong over the last two weeks. They suddenly have to do it right. And they have to get as healthy as they can as quickly as they can. Because West Virginia's coming into Norman. This is a team that's not what we anticipated them to be. They're way better than what we anticipated them to be. And by we, I mean fans, media, you know, talking heads. Everyone thought this would be it for Neil Brown at West Virginia. But what he's done is he's shown that he can right the ship and enter into the new era of the Big 12 starting in 2024. He can enter into that era with a mildly competitive team. And he can solidify that by picking up a big win in Norman this coming Saturday. So pressure's on Oklahoma. Clearly the pressure's on. It's the most pressure that they've experienced to this point of the season. Because you got to go out. You got to play flawless. And when you make the mistakes, you got to overcome them. And you got to take advantage of opportunity. That's the biggest thing for me, that they haven't taken advantage of opportunity. And we'll get into that. But there are so many things that are broken on this team right now. So let's get into some post-Bedlam thoughts. But look, there's still a map. There's still a way. There's still a possibility. And if you're a diehard fan, I mean, if you're, if you're the pessimistic guy and you just want the season to be over, fire Jeff Ledley, fire everybody else, then this probably isn't the podcast for you. But if you're looking for a way, if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for a start, well, it's there. There, there, it's it's there. You just got to seize it if you're the Sooners, and you got to want it if you're if you're the fan base. But let's break down this bedlam loss. Let's talk about some things that were within Oklahoma's control and some things that were not. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Okay, it's labeled as the final bedlam game, and Oklahoma State walks away with it, twenty-seven to twenty-four over the Sooners. Um, I don't know. Let's start by saying this. Was this the final Bedlam game? I think it's clearly the final Bedlam game for now. I don't think it's going to be the final Bedlam game of all time with football. There's just too much at stake. I, I think five to seven years down the road, the two entities are going to see what's missing. You're going to have new administration at some point at one or both of the universities, and they're going to make this thing happen. They're, they're going to bring this back, much in the way – they brought back the Nebraska series, much in the way they, they've worked to get, you know, those traditional power and rival matchups going again. They're going to do this with Bedlam. There's just too much at stake in terms of the state of Oklahoma. Now, this was huge for Oklahoma State. And as an Oklahoma fan, I mean, you don't want to see them walk off with the final Bedlam game. But the reality is this was bigger for Oklahoma State than it was for Oklahoma. Not that I'm trying to belittle the loss. It was a crushing loss for Oklahoma. The Sooners, the Sooners are, as we spent that whole first 10 minutes talking about, the Sooners are on the outside looking in in terms of the Big 12 championship game. They are on the outside and with no chance at getting in in terms of the college football playoff. Those are both things that were very much at stake and, and attainable by the Sooners even after they lost to Kansas. But they're not there now. 
And so this was a crushing loss for Oklahoma in this Bedlam game. But the reality is it was a bigger thing for Oklahoma State, not because of their record in Bedlam, because they're going to tout, oh, well, we won two of the last three Bedlam games. Yeah, they sure did. But that overall record is pretty pathetic. But that's not the reason why. The reason why this game was massive for Oklahoma State, this win was massive for Oklahoma State, was because they have abandonment issues. They, they have abandonment issues. They have, been, they have been connected to the University of Oklahoma for, for decades. And Oklahoma left. Feelings were hurt. And Bedlam is not continuing, not because Oklahoma is leaving to the SEC. Bedlam is not continuing because Oklahoma State has hurt feelings and a sense of abandonment. So this was kind of that last, you know, hey, got you, you know, type moment for Oklahoma State. And I think the first thing when you're addressing this game, the first thing you have to do is you have to give Oklahoma State credit for, for improving. They, they have clearly improved this season. And we knew that coming into the game. They, they proved it on the field Saturday afternoon. Now, there, there were a lot of factors that contributed to this loss for Oklahoma. But you have to give the Cowboys credit for their team improvement. I mean, this was nowhere close to even being the same team that was run off the field by South Alabama back in September. They got it together. They unified. They fixed some issues offensively and defensively. And I think it would be worth mentioning as you go into this, it's worth mentioning that this was a better Oklahoma State team than what we saw in September. And you flip that script, it's not a better Oklahoma team. And again, a lot of issues. There, there's, um, there's, there's, there's issues offensively. There's injuries defensively. There, there are so many factors. But the reality is not as good of, a, of an Oklahoma team as we saw in September. A way better Oklahoma State team than what we saw in September. And I think when you're trying to figure out the, what's going on with this football team, the most frustrating, the most absolutely the most frustrating aspect is what's happening on the offensive side of the ball. And clearly, Andrew Anthony broke this offense. Losing him was a devastating blow. And, and look, I get it. I get the criticism of Jeff Lebby, and, and I agree with it, but probably – Probably not for the same reason as most of the Sooner Nation does. Andrew Anthony's deep threat ability allowed Jeff Levy to have so many options. But since he went down against Texas, the offense has not worked the same way. Yeah, I mean, play calling, yeah, it's questionable. But so has execution. And both, I mean, both Brent Venables and Jeff Levy said on that final play call, on that fourth down in Saturday night in Bedlam, Drake Stoops was supposed to go longer. That was supposed to be a deeper route. So it's, it's play calling. I don't like to play. Even if he runs a deeper route, even if he takes it two or three yards deeper, I still don't like it. But the execution was poor on it. 
the turnovers. That's poor execution. I mean, think about the snapping at Dylan Gabriel's feet. Poor execution. Jarrell Farouk's fumble. Poor execution. Well, he shouldn't have been in that position. Why is he playing running back? Why? Look, why not? He's a playmaker. You want the ball in the hands of playmakers. Oklahoma has turned the football over six times in the last two games. That's an execution issue. Now, Jeff Levy, it's his job to fix it. And for me, it's, it's unfathomable that at this far into the season, there hasn't been a solution. Andrew Anthony went down on October 7th. And we're nearly a month later, and there's not a solution to what you can do with this offense sin without Andrew Anthony. And it's like, hey, we're just going to like keep doing the same thing we've been doing, but we can't do it as well, and we don't have any other plan. And, and to not be able to change your identity, to not be able to find another deep, field, deep downfield threat. I mean, Nick Anderson's been good. We still don't know what Brennan Thompson fully brings to the table here. Jalil Farouk is the guy who's carrying the passing game right now. But to not be able to have a solution for losing your speedster, to me, that's worse. That is so worse than the plays that are being called right now. Because when you, when you talk about level of preparedness, level of preparedness is you roll with the original plan and then you have a, a few backup plans. The Sooners had a bye week and then they've had two games, three games since Andrew Anthony went out. And there's, there's no solution. There, there's nothing there. I mean, we, we, Oklahoma fans, and I'll allow it, Oklahoma fans have been making fun of Caleb Williams for his emotional breakdown after that loss to Washington on Saturday night. Just up there just sobbing on his mama's shoulder. And I saw somebody say this, and I agree with it. This shows he's not mentally prepared for the NFL. He's not prepared. And if you're, if you're going to jump on the fire Jeff, ban- Jeff Lebby bandwagon, make a change offensively, I think you have to do something more than just that final play call. You have to do something more that he runs the ball when you want him to pass. He passes the ball when you want him to run. I, I think you have to actually say this guy doesn't have plan B, C, D, and E. Because the offense hasn't worked since Andrew Anthony left. Since he was injured, this has not worked. And that's the most egregious thing that we've seen from Jeff Levy, in my opinion. I think when you go to the other side of the football, Danny Stutzman's absence is probably just as large to the defense now look, Kip Lewis was really good. Kip Lewis was really good on Saturday. He led the team with 15 tackles. But the leadership, the confidence that Studsman brings to the field, that, that has not been replicated. Jaron Kanick is not as good of a linebacker if he's not lined up next to Danny Stutzman. And, and obviously Danny Stutzman's injury is not a season-ending thing like Andrew Anthony's was. And so you hope to see him back against West Virginia. I mean, maybe it was all for show, but he appeared to be close on Saturday. He appeared to be close 
to being able to play in the Bedlam game. He just wasn't there. But he was in uniform. He was dressed out. And again, that could have just been for show, but maybe you get him back against West Virginia. But Kip Lewis, physically what he brings to the field is great. But the leadership that the Sooners' defense doesn't have without Danny Stutzman, it was obvious at the key moments of the Kansas game, it was obvious through Bedlam. And speaking of guys absent, I mean, how, how big of a deal was it to have Reggie Pearson come back for that second half? You, you want to talk about things that may have changed the outcome of Bedlam? Well, you think about the turnovers. You think about the, 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 you think about the officiating. You think about execution mistakes. But what if Reggie Pearson plays that first half? He was massive in the second half, and they slowed Oklahoma State down. Oklahoma didn't really force Oklahoma State to turn the page in the playbook until Reggie Pearson came back into the game. And you wonder if if Reggie Pearson had been eligible for that first half, what would have been different? Maybe you don't have a different result, but I kind of think maybe you do. I guess, I mean, look, it's all going to be negative. That's what I said at the beginning of the podcast. I mean, I'm sure I'm somewhere there are positives, right? Because you want to say, oh, Gavin Salchuk, that was a positive because this is the Gavin Salchuk that, um, that we had hoped for, that we'd been waiting for since that, the bowl game last year. But I still don't understand the running back situation. And don't get me wrong. I mean, look, it was Tawe Walker was good. He got that touchdown big run. But Gavin Solchek averaged 8.5 yards per carry. He broke the century mark, had a huge play on Oklahoma's response to the Oklahoma State touchdown. Why did they move away from him? It just seemed to me like they moved away from him. And I don't get that. I mean, I don't know. I know. I know you're like, well, that's what Jeff Libby's thing is. Like you got the, you know, you got the trick play. Oklahoma, what is it? Oklahoma State scores on the opening possession. It's the first time all season long an opponent has scored against the Sooners on the opening possession. You got that critical response from Gavin Sawchuk on the long run. And then Oklahoma's defense responds. You get the ball back. And then what do you do? You turn it over on a, on a play call that you don't need. You don't need to do that in that moment. And I get it, okay? I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. I've already talked about Jeff Levy. But I don't get, I, I, it's, you've listened to this podcast, you know, I don't get what's happening in the running back room. And someone asked me a good question that I don't really have the answer to, but someone asked me, I thought was a great question. When, at what point, if ever, does this begin to have a reflection on DeMarco Murray? At what point does DeMarco Murray start carrying some of the burden, some of the heat for the way these running backs are being rotated and used? Because we saw Javante Barnes, very minimal. We saw Gavin Solchuk have the best night of the season. And then you just saw Oklahoma move away from him, inexplicably. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And, I mean, obviously, Jeff Levy is the offensive coordinator. It flows through him. But does DeMarco Murray have a say in this? I'm to the point with these running backs. 
Tawi Walker, Gavin Salchuk, Javante Barnes. You got, you know, of course, you got the two freshmen. These five running backs, Smothers and all the freshmen included, right? They will not all five be on campus next year. There's no way. There's no way after what we've seen, unless it's a group effort, which I highly doubt it is, there's no way all of these guys are back. I just, I don't see it. And and I think they're trying, maybe, it's just a thought, but maybe they're trying to pacify the entire room out of fear of losing one or two guys, where the reality is you put that entire room in jeopardy of jumping into the portal because no one is satisfied. So uh, the, that's, that's who, who is responsible for that? Ultimately, as the offensive coordinator, it should fall on Jeff Levy. But again, I mean, I love DeMarco Murray. He's a legend, right? But you just the question was asked to me. I don't have the answer, so I'm turning it to you. Does DeMarco Murray have anything to do with this? Does he, does he shoulder any of the burden? And as far as the Big 12 goes, we'll jump into this now. I'm probably getting out of a little bit out of um, out of the order of things. Oklahoma didn't lose this game. Let me see if I can say this the right way. Oklahoma did not lose this game because there was no flag on what was clearly multiple times, multiple times, not just the Drake Stoops and that was the most egregious. But multiple times. No flag on obvious defensive pass interference against the Sooners. And this has been a two-season thing. This has been happening since the announcement. That Oklahoma didn't lose this game because of that. But you could also say they didn't win this game because of that. That played into them losing. And for the Big 12, look, it's reached a state of embarrassment. The Big 12 has lost credibility, and it's reached a new level of pathetic. I mean, it's, like, it's, it's, that, it's that messy breakup. It's that nasty divorce. You don't give me what I need. It's not that you don't give me what I want. You don't give me what I need. You don't treat me with love. You don't treat me res- with respect. And so I'm moving on. I'm, 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 I'm moving on, right? And then instead of, instead of saying, instead of trying to open your eyes and show some remorse and try to make up for what's just been told to you, what you do is you amp it up even more. Oh, well, we'll just give you some more 11 a.m. kickoffs. Oh, and then we're going to throw in some shady officiating. The Big 12 is a joke. And I've said that I think it's going to be a fun conference, but I believe on a national level that it's, it's exposed I mean, even, even the guys on TV, the guys on the radio. Now, the guys, if you're listening to the Sooner Radio Network, they're clearly homers, and we love them for that. But if you're listening to a national broadcast, and you're watching a national broadcast, and the guys that their job is to sit there and watch a football game, talk about the best job in the world. Their job is to sit there and watch a football game, to see an, a, a, an issue with officiating and say, what do you think should be the right call here? Most of the time, that's when a play goes to replay. And a lot of times those things are wrong, but they make good points. 
But to bring in that guy, to bring in that type of person on the broadcast and say, why was this not defensive pass interference? And for them to respond back with, I don't know, because that's textbook defensive pass interference. All the Big 12 is doing is they're, they're sacrificing their credibility for pettiness because Oklahoma Texas is costing this conference a bang load of money and they're replacing them with four other teams, five other teams when you throw Utah in there. Colorado's coming back, six. They're replacing them, but they're losing revenue still. That's how much Oklahoma and Texas mean to the Big 12. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's blatant. It's obvious what's happening. And now you start the new era, and you have no credibility. All you have is pettiness. There, there my rant's over. Um, you know, it's two weeks in a row for Oklahoma's defense. and we, I still say the story of the season for Oklahoma is the defensive improvement. But with that, the story of the season for Oklahoma is the regression of the offense. Two weeks in a row, the defense should have sealed this game. Two weeks in a row, if you have the offense from 2022, you probably have the game sealed. You got the Ethan Downs interception against Kansas. You got the Billy Bowman interception in Bedlam. And both of those should have been able to seal victory for Oklahoma. And neither one of them did. Neither one of them did. And I guess I'm just, all I'm doing is piling on Jeff Levy at this point. All I'm doing is just piling on. But that's what it is. I mean, that's, that's where you are. You have two big defensive plays that could have put the game out of reach. And instead, you walk off the field back-to-back weeks after defensive plays that should have put the game away for you. You walk off a loser. And you know what? Mike Gundy, he won a coaching battle. I mean, it's, this is so not Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy's M.O. is like he chokes in big games, particularly Bedlam. But Mike Gundy outcoached Oklahoma. And I hate saying that. I hate saying that. But that's the truth. Mike Gundy outcoached Oklahoma. He, he, he didn't just win the game on the field. He won the game in the sideline as well. He was the better coach. He had the better staff. The team was better prepared. Took advantage of Oklahoma's mistakes. Oklahoma could not take advantage of Oklahoma State's mistakes. Which I guess brings me to my final point. You know, I started by saying give, give Oklahoma State credit, right? Give them credit for their improvement. Give them pre- credit for, um, for how they've changed it, their identity from September. But Oklahoma beat themselves. They, they beat themselves. Oklahoma State had little to nothing to do with bad play calls. Even the turnovers. You look at the turnovers, bad decision from Dylan Gabriel on the deep ball. Bad play call from, from Jeff Libby on the trick play. Bad snap timing. Just Those are mistakes. They were unforced errors. Offensive issues. That wasn't on Oklahoma State. Officiating issues, not on Oklahoma State. Poor execution. Drake Stoops running three yards instead of five yards. Those are mistakes that are on Oklahoma. If you fix at least half of those, fix at least half of them. 
Don't turn the ball over three times. You're probably walking off this field a winner instead of a loser. So there it is. I mean, look, there's still a Big 12 conference that could be played for for Oklahoma. you got a schedule that sets you up beginning next week with West Virginia to have success down the stretch. But you got to take care of business. you got to fix things. And if you don't fix them, we're going to be back here next Sunday talking about the, the problems that are lingering. So have a great week. Going to try to do more podcasting this week. Um, again, I know you don't care about my schedule, but it's better. But uh, enjoy your week. I'm sorry. You know, don't drown in your bedlam sorrows. Basketball starts this week for Oklahoma. And uh, we'll be back to talk later. Boomer Sooner, everybody.